welcome back. Uh, we uh, crossed over the year 1000 BBY last episode into the year ni 973 this episode. But uh, this episode's a little bit early. It'll be uh, it'll be out on the fourteenth instead of today. I just recorded the last episode. But in the year nine hundred and seventy-three, we see some pretty major births in our little Star Wars galaxy. Notably, Maz Kanata. She's a, a force-sensitive female humanoid who quickly learned to live and thrive within the criminal underworld throughout the galaxy, living on her homeworld, planet Takodana. Takodana? She resided in a large castle. Uh, it used to be the battleground between the Jedi and the Sith of the old Eventually, Maz earned the title of Pirate Queen, helping young smugglers with credits, equipment, and connections, even a bed to stay for free if they needed it. Um, she had lots of very faithful employees that would manage the visitors and the residents of the castle when she went out traveling for antiques and treasures. But she would still, I mean, she would regularly return to her castle to store the treasures in the storehouses and vaults in her castle. Especially items that spoke to her through the Force, which she kept kind of especially secure. Now you might recognize Maz uh, as the, the orange lady in the castle in the new, new Star Wars movies. She's a super likable faces wrinkled from centuries of like big laughter and kind smiles and with the help of her kind of like specific race she has an especially long lifespan We're talking thousand years thousands of years and she's able to maintain this like den of smugglers with just having two simple rules Everyone was welcome, and no fighting. Breaking the rule of no fighting would ultimately lead to being killed, so it was a pretty solid system. Especially because everybody liked the Maz. And, I mean, and her being able to use the Force didn't really hurt either. But she's, I mean, one of the likable characters from the new movies. But she was born this year. And as we inch our way to the year 896 BBY, we have another famous birth. The one and only Yoda is born. He's a member of a species that's shrouded in mystery with no known species name or homeworld. And members are rarely seen anywhere in the galaxy. But when they are, they are all Jedi and all Force-sensitive. I, I think it's probably safe to say we all know who Yoda is. Uh, 
But if you don't, uh, his species is like child size, green skin, long, expressive, pointed ears, big eyes, three-fingered hands. They can be male and female and can even grow thin hair with an obviously very long lifespan, running several centuries, (laughs) uh, aging very slowly. Initially, at least. Like uh, an infant, they stay an infant for at least 50 standard years, but would reach maturity around their 100th year. So, like Yoda, for instance, began training with the Jedi when he was 100, and was considered middle-aged when he was about 500 years old. So most most people recognize Yoda for his way of talking, appearing to talk in almost a reverse way, um, despite speaking the galactic basic standard. But it wasn't that all members of his species spoke this way. Uh, it was, in fact, just Yoda specifically that spoke in the reversed way he talks. Like rather than saying "I won't talk," he would speak. He would say, "Speak, I will not." Um, one of the most interesting aspects of Yoda and his species as a whole is that it has already been decided that his homeworld and origins would never be explored. Outside of George Lucas saying Yoda was the illegitimate child of Kermit Frog and Miss Piggy. I mean, it's a joke, but it's the only origin we have (laughs) from the creator. So uh, we'll explore Yoda more as time goes on because he's obviously only born this year. And he plays a somewhat large role. But for now, he trains with the Jedi, becoming a legendary Jedi Grandmaster. And we will take a break from our births for now and head back over to Naboo, which we haven't talked about in a minute, who, in addition to entering an era of peace for the planet, they built the Royal Theed Palace all united under one leader as well as joining the Galactic Republic which is nice around this time and as time moves on Naboo will become fairly important and the one of, it's kind of one of the first worlds of the story everyone is more familiar with so it, that all takes place in this deep palace which is being built now in the year 800 something But for now, we will fly over to Hut Space, a region controlled by the Hut species in the Outer Rim. Uh, specifically, a planet called Nalhutta, known simply as Hutta. It was a hot, swampy planet, home to the headquarters of the Grand Hut Council, which acted as a major haven for both aligned governments and many criminal organizations since it was kind of far away from any galactic authority. Because of the nature of the huts, they made a nice setup for themselves. They made sure all of their business was conducted on their largest moon, so that way the planet of Hutta could be used as just like their housing. Which 
based on the new rules of war, made the planet itself, like, a little bit immune from invasions. Because it was, like, strictly residential on the planet. So there wasn't really a way for people to really attack them and be in the right. And on our lovely criminal underworld planet of Hutta, we have a species called the Huts. Uh, obviously, the notorious gangsters. And they were a huge slug-like reptile-esque species with large mouths and stubby arms and just a big slug tail. They had tough leathery skin which was like wrinkled and slimy and their skeletal structure was similar to like a snake and they could use their strong spine to push themselves through the muck of Nalhutta where like humanoid legs would generally just sink into they just like weren't strong enough to walk through and as the huts grew in age they also grew in size now, the, the Huts weren't originally from Nalhutta. They originally came from planet Varl. But Nalhutta was a much better atmosphere and just general vibe that the Huts liked. In addition to being able to live for many centuries, Huts were also immune to mind tricks. Uh, they could grow to enormous sizes and Interestingly enough, much like Yoda's mysterious species, at age 50, huts are also described to be an infant. Which is kind of odd. But two of the main huts lived around this time, simply known as Papa and Mama. And they were members of the Desilegic Kajidik on planet Hutta. There was a caste social structure known as the Kajadik, and generally the <laughs> members of each group would have their own, like, family crest tattooed on them. Personally, I feel like the Huts are one of the more unique species in the galaxy. They don't, they don't really wear clothes. They smoked hookah, like, just, like, wasn't necessarily hookah but it was just through a pipe uh they mainly ate smaller amphibians and believed that individuals of the hut species could ascend to godhood and when huts would die they would mummify and bury them but back to mama and papa members of the desilegic they gave birth to an officially unknown member of their group. Now it's never explicitly mentioned how related members of any specific group are, or if they marry outside of their own group. But putting that aside, <laughs> the, you know, just odd uh like are they all part of the same one and how do you become in the same one without being a family member and 
interesting. But <laughs> this unnamed child of Mama and Papa had his own kid. Granted, we're skipping around a couple years. Mama and Papa were around much earlier. And this unknown kid had been around for hundreds of years up until this time. But uh, with Mama and Papa still alive. But this unknown kid had his own kid. Hut by the name of Jabba Desilegic Tyru. T-I-U-R-E What What am I supposed to do? It's not a word Uh, A.K.A. Jabba the Hutt And eventually known as His Excellency Jabba Desilegic Tyru Of Nalhutta Eminence of Tatooine As his official title Born in 600 BBY. And if you can't tell by his future title, our young slug Jabba would become one of the galaxy's most powerful crime lords, working his way up as a hut gangster into owning several criminal enterprises, including smuggling and spice trading, slave trading, assassination, piracy... And his prominence in all of these different avenues of revenue, uh, he ended up making connections with the Crimora Syndicate, which was like a greater collection of crime families in the galaxy. And this, these kind of crime connections earned Jabba a position on the Grand Hut Council, which in turn let Jabba move his criminal enterprise from Hutta over to a palace in the northern dune sea of the desert world Tatooine which was a much more profitable location for his specific businesses with the amount of traffic Tatooine got he was able to introduce even more revenue streams like gambling and arms dealing and kind of had a hand in almost all money that was moved across the entire planet of Tatooine and pretty much nothing happened on Tatooine without Jabba knowing about it and allowing it. He was kind of like the, the unofficial ruler of Tatooine. Unless you were just totally on the up and up and didn't bug anybody and or need anything. And But even then, the money that you earned would probably be at some point in time routed through Jabba. So it's kind of a big deal for the kind of small role he got in the movies and stuff for being such an important guy and before we cover the last of the major creations of this area you already know I gotta do it and I will take this moment to invite you to become a member of my show and uh, subscribe to my streaming service that has almost everything you can think of. Granted, it doesn't have any videos of any births, but it does have movies, TV shows, reality shows, anime, cartoons, video versions of episodes like this as I make them and even some music. Uh, 
there's new stuff, old stuff, and literally if it's something you watch or want to watch, it's probably there. If it's not, you can request it and be able to watch it on literally any device with an internet connection. If you have any issues with any part of it, you can get direct contact with me and I will fix it for you even. In addition to all of that, I have every piece of Star Wars media available on it. All with nice, pretty artwork and a nice, easy order, as well as some other stuff like comic book movies and shit like that. Uh, in better orders than you'll find anywhere else, so it makes it a much easier binging experience. All you gotta do is go to vexcomics.com, hit subscribe, follow the like two instructions it has. They're very simple. Click an amount between $3 and $23 a month, and that's it. Easily replace all of your streaming services with just one easy one for cheaper than any of the other ones. It even has a new new social system built in where you can add friends and watch stuff with them at the same time. So you can, you know, people do that and uh, share watch lists and stuff. And I mean, if all of that doesn't interest you, then there's nothing I can do to make it more appealing. <laughs> I've done all I can. But if it does, then again, all you'd have to do is go to vexcomics.com, follow the short, short instructions, add a tip if you want, pick an emoji, and you are good to go. Granted, it is a one-man operation, so it might take me a second if I am asleep to add you. But generally, I am not, so <laughs> it tends to work out. <laughs> but now going along with the theme of the episode, we have a new form of births discovered at this time uh, called cloning. The Caledahan people believed that they were descendants of an extinct species and decided to lay claim to the remnants of the home world that was destroyed and exploded into an asteroid belt. And this home world being the original home world of this extinct species. And this ancient area called Polis Massa was turned into like a remote medical base for these Kalidahan people. And they were kind of able to utilize some of their extensive medical knowledge of their extinct ancestors because it was like a this asteroid that they built their medical base on was kind of a larger chunk of the planet that had been exploded. And it they were able to bring like archaeologists in there to discover a lot about the ancient species that used to be there that they believed to be their ancestors. And it was, they happened to be good with medical stuff. So they used that information to upgrade their own technology and own research to become really good doctors, basically. And as their research into different medical avenues evolved, they wanted to expand more to get even more knowledge of what they can do to help people. And uh, it led them to the Kaminoans, who were very good at 
cloning people or creating clones or they were working on the technology to create clones at this time which will be somewhat important later on maybe not quite useful information yet but this research was crucial for future events but our final birth of this chapter comes in year 509 BBY and it's another member of Yoda's mystery species a force sensitive and future Jedi master by the name of Yaddle and through the years she took on the role of training Jedi initiates just like younger Jedi and regularly studied everything in the Jedi archives. That's where you would always find her. Unfortunately, there isn't much we can really touch on yet for Yaddle, just because of the timeline. Um, and she's, you know, an infant for the next 50 years. So, you know, not much we can really do yet. But when we get closer to the year 300, she'll come up again. Finally, we have uh, our last creation of this time frame, where we go back to the Mandalorians, who've had a good 500 years to really think about what they've done, and by this point, uh, I mean, since they were just really defeated, and their whole homeworld was poisoned and left as a wasteland and they all had to live in domes and uh, a bad situation but they've had they've had some time to think about what they've done and uh, <laughs> as their religion grew through their survival it became more and more influential to the people and spawning hardcore religious groups of Mandalorians which many of these religious mercenary groups decided to kind of craft their own armor and weapons out of the Baskar metal that their planet was rich with. Because they kind of were people where they didn't want anything from outside of their system. They wanted to be able to be fully self-sufficient since they didn't like help from anybody and, or anything like that. And making these like armors and tools and weapons out of Baskar created like a uniformed look across different clans of Mandalorians. And one set of armor made around this time was actually the same armor that would become Sabine Wren's armor about 500 years later. So, I mean, their armor is kind of a big deal. I mean, like, like Baskar is used to make like some pretty damn strong armor. Now, a lot of people consider the Mandalorians to be like an extremist cult. But during this time, there was actually a more sinister extremist cult forming. Led by a lady that 
we'll talk about in the next episode not this episode uh, on episode 10 can't believe it's already episode 10 can't tell if i'm ahead of schedule or not i was thinking i would hit the events of episode one like, like phantom menace around episode like 16 or 17 and then, like, the events of A New Hope around episode 30, maybe? It's honestly it's a complete random guess. There's just a crazy amount of content between The Phantom Menace and A New Hope. But, I don't know. I am thinking that as I get closer to the known galaxy information uh, from the movies and stuff... I might end up having episodes about specific people. Just because there's a lot of information about individual people. That would probably fill space of a whole episode. This is just, this is just extra stuff. This, is, this isn't part of the awesome stuff. I'm just filling space. But it's still, the whole idea is still pretty fluid right now. So I'm only on episode nine. I mean, this episode, we went from the year 1000 BBY to 500 BBY, which is not a small jump. I mean, if we did that again, we would be past episode one, like The Phantom Menace, the actual movie. But then we have episodes like last last week's episode, episode number eight, that was kind of stuck in the year 1000, plus or minus 30 years. But I'll see you next week. Episodes available Tuesday mornings at usually midnight, unless I am recording them late, like episode number eight. But generally at midnight, or as I make them for subscribers, just like for reference, I made this episode on the 7th, and it'll officially be out on the 14th. And that's with me being like way behind schedule so if you enjoy it and want episodes early head over to vexcomics.com and become a subscriber <laughs> um, uh, oh also I totally forgot to even mention anything I'm back again in the video uh, I have a new background my desk is all moved and I have new stuff set up to make it nice and pretty and comics and things but just you know I, I totally space that I didn't even acknowledge it or anything in the last two episodes where it's been here um, I'm but I, yeah I'm just like, killing time now burning studio minutes okay love you bye